This is the Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And there are a few issues bigger right now than who gets paid what. One big case playing out right now that we've kept a close eye on is the issue around the U.S. women's national soccer team, how they're treated, how they're paid. There has been a settlement. We're going to talk more about it this week following a conversation we had last week. Last week, we spoke with Cardell Spangler. She's a partner at Winston & Strawn. That's the law firm that's representing the U.S. women's national soccer team. This week, we are very happy to speak with Jamie Wine. She's a partner at Latham & Watkins in New York, and they are representing U.S. soccer. Jamie, really good to have you on the show. As we were getting to know each other a little bit before we came on, just pointing out, this is a massive story. It's a massive issue. And I guess I would start by saying, where are we right now? Because there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot been written and talked about. There is a tentative settlement, at least on part of it. But bring us up to speed. Great. And thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Um, where we are today is that the U.S. Um, soccer and the women's national team players have reached a settlement on the working conditions claims that the women's national team brought. It's a, a part of their case. It's not the equal pay part of their case, and I'm sure that we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but it has to do with, you know, trying to get uh, a better equality in terms of working conditions for the men's and women's team. And it's an important step uh, and a welcome moment for both U.S. soccer and the women's national team, I believe. What it, what it shows is action towards a better relationship between the two and that we can really work together for the, for the benefit of everybody. It's also reflective of the commitment of the new leadership at U.S. soccer to, to find a new way forward and a positive way forward with the women's national team. And I'll get on to the rest of the suit, but just one thing I want to pause on here in terms of the working conditions. You know, what it did was really formalize U.S. soccer's longstanding equitable approach um, to make sure that both the women's team and the men's team are receiving the best-in-class off-field support. Um, you know, to provide them with the most opportunity to succeed on the field. And we were really happy that we were able to find a structured way to continue to do that so that both teams get um, equitable support and, and really um, make them able to, to succeed on the field, you know, as we've certainly seen the women's team doing in such great fashion over the last few years. Um, in terms of the equal pay, and I'm sure we'll dive into that more, that part, we got a great decision in May that I'd be happy to chat about um, that actually um, denied uh, the women's attempt to go to trial on the equal pay claims. And we anticipate that the women now will appeal that decision to the higher courts, um, and that'll play out in the court system there. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, the decision you got in May, how much of that was an impact in this recent decision that just came about? You know, that, that decision was incredibly important as well. Um, you know, everybody has heard about uh, the women's team fight for equal pay. And, you know, in concept, everybody would support that. We would support that. They support that. Um, but I think it's really important to focus on, on what happened in that ruling. The judge looked at the, at the women's team claim, and he found a few things. First of all, very importantly, he found that U.S. soccer, in fact, has been paying the women uh, equal. And in fact, he said um, they have been paying the women more over the last few years than the men. 
so that's really important. He looked at it. He looked at what U.S. soccer was paying them for matches it controls, and he said both in the aggregate and on a per-game basis, the women, in fact, have been paid more than the men. So that was number one. Number two, he looked at the contract structures for the men and the women's team, which, which do differ um, in just the way that they are they are. They are formed. Um, and he said and found, based on the evidence that we provided, that the women, in fact, chose a different contract structure from the men. They chose a structure that provides them more stability in terms of the compensation that they get. Um, so they get a stable salary. They do get bonuses for when they play and they win. They're not as high as the bonuses that the men get when they play and win, but they chose stability in terms of a salary, benefits, and other things that they get that the men don't get. The men have much more of a high-risk, high-reward structure where they get paid high bonuses when they appear and when they play but they don't and win, but they don't otherwise get any of the stability that the women's contract has. And the judge found that the women made that choice in terms of picking that structure, and they can't go back now retroactively and say, oh, we wish we had the men's contract structure. So those are two important fundamental bases of that decision to keep in mind. Now, in terms of the the settlement, the current settlement with the women, what I would say is even in light of that opinion, women's soccer, U.S. soccer has always supported the women's game, wants to work in unison and arm-in-arm with the women to promote the game, and really to work together, um, both to make sure they're happy within the confines of what U.S. soccer is providing them, but also to really go after, um, you know, places where there, where there is some disparity. So, for example, one of the biggest disparities in pay that the women and men have is a result of FIFA prize money. Mm. FIFA prize money is controlled by FIFA, not by U.S. soccer. And so there is a big differential there when you look at what women's teams get when they win the World Cup versus what men's teams get. And so we would like to work together with the women's team to make that disparity less or make it not at all and and advocate with FIFA to improve prize money. We're happy to work with the women's team to try to get more sponsorship into soccer. And so I think what the recent settlement did was show that when we work together as opposed to fighting one another, we can really accomplish a lot. And so I'm hopeful that the recent settlement will allow us to move forward and help promote the women's game um, and get equality, you know, all around for the women. So hi, Jamie. It's uh, Mike Lynch up here in your hometown of Boston. So why don't the women take up this case with FIFA instead of U.S. soccer? You know, I think that's probably a question better asked to the to the women's team. Um, you know, we're, we're responding to the lawsuit that they filed against U.S. soccer. Um, but I'm, I'm sure they have their own reasons. Um, and again, uh, whatever they are, we have advocated with FIFA and would be happy to continue to advocate with FIFA along with the women to improve that prize money. You know, Jamie, I, I do wonder, I mean, you have worked on a lot of high-profile cases, high-octane cases in many ways. Clearly, there's a public element to this. There's a perception uh, element to this. We talked about that with Cardell Spangler uh, as well. And, and obviously, as I mentioned, all of us have been following this very closely. How do you, as a lawyer in this case and working with U.S. soccer, how do you navigate that that aspect of it and sort of keep your eye on the prize, as it were, make sure that you're sort of going through the right legal issues when there is a lot of, candidly, sort of noise about this on either side? 
Yeah, and that's a great question because that's been, you know, a large part of what a lot of us have focused on in dealing with this litigation. You know, we're in a tough position where the women's team, you know, who we hugely support and agree with the rest of the world are the, you know, best uh, women's team and, in fact, one of the best just teams, period, out there in the world. But we're in this odd position where we are opposite one another in a legal case. We don't want to be opposite them. We want to work together with them. And so we both need to um, be out there publicly supporting them, which we are, publicly supporting their their fight, um, you know, whether it's with FIFA wanting to get uh, better prize money, whether they're trying to get more sponsorship money, whether they're just trying to, you know, um, improve the popularity of the women's game around the world. We want to be arm in arm with them. At the same time, we do have to counter some of the misinformation that's out there. So like I said, people just hear, you know, it's very easy to hear somebody say, hey, we want equal pay. Of course, everybody, hopefully everybody, is going to agree with that. We certainly agree with that. Um, We want the women to be paid equitably. Uh, We don't want them to be discriminated against. Um, But when it comes to how is U.S. soccer treating the women, there is a lot of misinformation out there, and we've tried to certainly correct that in the legal record, and we've been successful there with the judgment in May, you know, and we've tried to correct that uh, to a certain extent in the, in the public record, you know, without going after and attacking the women's players because we don't want to do that. Uh, but making it clear that in terms of what U.S. soccer controls and the matches that it controls, that we actually have been paying the women more than the men, uh, that's been a really important message to get out there so that people understand that U.S. soccer isn't doing anything wrong here. There are other things outside of U.S. soccer's control that people could hope were different. Uh, But from what U.S. soccer is doing, we don't think we've done anything wrong, and we think that the decision in May really um, vindicates us. Well, let's talk about some of the misinformation points that you mentioned. What, in your mind, are some of the misinformation pieces out there that you would like to correct? Sure. You know, I think the biggest is just um, when people hear uh, what the women are saying about this legal battle, I think the public perception is that, in fact, U.S. soccer is paying the women less. And that's the biggest piece that's just not true. Um, We are not paying the women less. They have made more than the men, as I have said, over the last several years that the court examined in in the court record. Um, And also to understand better uh, the, the reasons why there are differences in contracts structures uh, between and pay structures between the men and the women, and that that was a a choice that was made by the women's team in their collective bargaining process when they wanted stability. And and that stability is really important. So just to break that down a bit, the women get a salary each year. The women get paid every two weeks, regardless of whether they play or not. So if they don't play for injury or for any other reason, they still get paid. Um, They get a number of health benefits that the men don't get. Um, They still get bonuses for when they win and have success. Now, the men, as I said, don't have any of that stability. They don't have salaries. They literally just have a a pay-for-play type structure. So if they show up and play, and if they show up and they play and they win, they get paid, and they get paid better if they win. If they don't show up for whatever reason, injury or otherwise, they don't get paid at all. And just to make this really stark in the, in the current environment, you know, this really played out in 2020 with the COVID situation. So as you all know, you know, most of the games were canceled in 2020 because of the pandemic. The men literally made nothing from U.S. soccer if they didn't play. The women 
while not playing, still got their salary through the entirety of 2020, still got a paycheck every two weeks. And so you can really see how these choices can play out to a huge benefit for the women, and that's the precise reason that they chose that structure during their uh, CBA negotiations. Jamie, there was a tweet from uh, President-elect Joe Biden saying that uh, U.S. soccer will have to go elsewhere for World Cup funding if uh, the equal pay thing isn't settled, but that's not 100% accurate. Is that correct? Well, what's not accurate is that um, U.S. soccer doesn't receive federal funding. Uh, U.S. soccer is a, a nonprofit. Um, it does not receive any funding from the federal government. Um, it receives uh, funding elsewhere, including through sponsorships, uh, broadcasting, uh, private donations, things like that, but not from the federal government. So uh, that's a, a little piece of misinformation that out, that's out there as well. Uh, but, you know, President-elect Biden is a very smart man. And I'm sure he is well-intentioned, just like many are, when they hear about the women's fight for equal pay. You know, I would hope that we would have an opportunity to sit down and talk with him and help um, uh, correct the record for him and, and let him know how supportive U.S. soccer has been for the women's team and the women's game for a long time now. And again, that we could work together uh, with him uh, on any issues that still need rectifying. But hopefully he'll see that uh, U.S. soccer should not be the target here. Jamie, I, I want to dig a little deeper on the corporate side of this. This, after all, you know, we look at the business of sports and we talk a lot about kind of the corporate side of this. I want to play just a little bit of our interview with Cardell Spangler last week because she talked about how that figures in. Check it out. We actually spent a little time with a couple of the sponsors in the litigation. We actually deposed a couple of the sponsors. And they were important depositions to the extent that anyone was claiming <laughs> that the women do not bring equal value, that sponsors are not interested in and sponsoring only the women's team, that if they're really basically drafting off of the men's team, that was laid to waste, that the sponsors are very interested in the women's team in particular. And because of that, so taking now this outside of the legal piece of it, there's a role, I think, for them to play in saying to U.S. soccer that you know equal pay, equal working conditions are so important to them as sponsors that if that is not achieved by U.S. soccer, that there could be some ramifications. So, Jamie, it raises a whole host of questions, but and, and it actually takes me, at least, in a, in a slightly different direction, which is to understanding how the women and the men are paid. You talked about the different contract structures, but a lot of this also has to do, and, and keep me honest here, with the structure of the games beyond the national teams and the professional leagues that the men and the women play in. That has to figure into this as well, in addition to sort of the corporate side, because we know that there's a huge amount of enthusiasm for the national team, but there isn't the financial support for the professional leagues for women the way there is for the men. Yeah, and let me let me address both aspects of that. First of all, in terms of sponsor, um, we we would welcome more sponsorship, <laughs> just as much right. as the women's team would welcome it. So, um, you know, we're, we're that's one thing you guys definitely agree that. on, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, now one thing to to focus on though is that you know U.S. soccer does have to consider not only the women's team and the men's team, but they have a lot of other constituents. And as you all may know, U.S. soccer has a, a whole host of youth teams that it supports. It has um, uh, teams, uh, para teams that it supports. It has uh, a bunch of members uh, around the country who organize youth soccer, you know, all over the country and, and, and help really, you know, millions of kids play soccer and just 
grow the development of the sport. And so any money that comes into U.S. soccer and comes into the crest, as we like to refer to it, has to go to support all of those programs, you know, and not just one team or another team or even not just both senior national teams. So that's, that's one important thing to keep in mind in terms of the sponsorship money. Um, but in terms of the, the leagues, you're absolutely correct that the men's professional league traditionally has had more corporate sponsorship support than the women's national league. And that's frankly another area where U.S. soccer has come in to really support the women's game. U.S. soccer has from the beginning uh, financially supported in a very substantial way uh, the Women's uh, Professional Soccer League so that there can be a professional league in the United States that women can play in and that they don't have to go outside of the U.S. for those opportunities. So we're very proud of that support that we've given the Women's League, and it's been uh, very successful with that financial backing from U.S. soccer. Uh, but we would absolutely love to see you know more support from, from the corporate world for that, uh, just as much as the women's uh, national players would like to see that i did not know this until i was reading up on this uh at yes there are issues here in the united states when it comes to the pay discrepancy between men and women but when you go overseas and you see some of that discrepancy and i'm talking about what the men earn that they aren't earning as much i didn't know like for instance the france men's team they won the world cup in 2018 but they got about 30% of the $38 million. Uh, break it down, it's like about $350,000 per player. And then the other 70% went to the Federation to go towards development. So I, I'm wondering what can the, the women's U.S. team and the men's U.S. team do to help the pay discrepancy around the world? Yeah, well, you know, hopefully, you know, all the advocacy that they're doing, you know, on, on the pay issues generally can, can help the game around the world, can help women's soccer around the world, and, and can help, you know, the pay for, for men and women where it's needed around the world. Yeah, I think all of the soccer players in the U.S. are, are lucky um, that U.S. soccer um, has been able to support them so well. I think both the U.S. Uh, men's team and the U.S. women's team are among the highest paid teams in the world. Uh, you mentioned the FIFA prize money and how much of that actually ends up in the pockets of the players. You know, we're very happy and, and pleased to say that we pay out most of that money to our players. Uh, the women, in fact, were paid out 100% of the, of the FIFA prize money for their World Cup wins. Uh, the men were paid, I believe, about 70% of their FIFA uh, uh, prize money for they didn't win the tournament, obviously, but for when they play in a pier. So we, we like the players to get a, a large proportion, and in the women's case, 100% of that prize money so that it ends up in their pockets. And, you know, I think it is, I think it is important when we think about these issues and think about the rest of the world uh, to make sure we're comparing, you know, apples to apples. I think we've heard a lot about the fight for equal power pay in, in other countries, and sometimes it's reported in the news that in other countries the men and the women are, in fact, getting paid equally. But when you drill down on that, they might be getting paid equally, but they're both getting paid a very small percentage of their FIFA prize money and not a lot of money overall or not the benefits that the women's team are getting here in the U.S., things like that. 
And so when you look at the just robust pay packages that our women are getting here in the U.S., it really stands out in comparison to the rest of the world. And, and again, we'd be happy to work together with the women's team to make sure uh, that female players and, frankly, all soccer players around the world are getting, are getting paid what they deserve. So, Jamie, basically this, this is coming down to a disagreement over the definition of equal pay. Would that be an accurate statement? I think that's an accurate statement, um, but to uh, be a little bit nu- more nuanced about it, I also think that it comes down to uh, really needing to look at who we're talking about in terms of the payor. Um, so as I've said a few times today, when you look at how U.S. soccer is paying the women, uh, I don't think there's any valid claim um, that there's some discrimination or lack of equitable treatment. And we just really need to make sure that we're being careful about what we're talking about and where the money is coming from uh, that the women may have some legitimate complaint about. So if they're legitimately complaining about uh, prize money differentials in tournaments that U.S. soccer doesn't control, that's one thing. If they're complaining about uh, pay in terms of what U.S. soccer pays for matches it does control, then I don't think there's a valid complaint there. So it's really it's really looking behind what the complaint is and, and who they're complaining about. Jamie, we have really, really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you so much for spending some time on this holiday week as everybody's trying to wrap up the year. Uh, we know you're working hard on this, and we really appreciate you uh, bringing us some of the details. And as you say, there is a lot of nuance to this that uh, sometimes, I dare say, uh, gets lost in the media. That is Jamie Wine. She's a partner at Latham & Watkins, representing U.S. soccer in this ongoing discussion, shall we say, about uh, equal treatment and equal pay across the U.S. women's and the U.S. men's national teams. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you for having me. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at LynchyWCVB. And I'm Jason Kelly. You can find me at Jason Kelly News. We're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week. We're going to catch up with our pal Joe Nocera. He's got some hot takes. He always does on what happened in the world of sports in 2020. Spoiler alert, it was a lot. You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts.